Welcome back to Pinpoint History, everyone. Episode 18, Wins and Losses. Last week, we talked about Philip's campaigns in the north and his three years of hard skirmishing in Thrace and Illyria. Then, we talked about Athens and the growing hostility against Macedonia, despite having just signed a peace treaty with them. Athenian internal politics began to heat up as the pro-Macedonian and anti-Macedonian factions began to charge one another to gain supremacy. The anti-Macedonian faction won out and began to escalate against the Macedonians, capturing Macedonian correspondents, torturing an ambassador, and promising aid to cities who stood up against Philip. This culminated in Philip marching his army against the city of Perinthus. The city of Perinthus lay on what was known then as the Propontis, or the Sea of Marmara today. It was deep in Thracian territory, it was a flourishing Greek colonist city. It was only 55 miles or so away from the city of Byzantium, which would later become Constantinople, which is now the modern-day Istanbul. Philip was on the warpath this time. He had been a friend to Perinthus and Byzantium initially. They had been warm to his overtures, but, like the Chalcidian League, as Philip's power grew and he expanded Macedonian territory deeper and deeper into Thrace, coming close to the doorsteps of Perinthus and Byzantium, their posture began to shift as they feared falling under Macedonian power. Ironically, this led them to accept Athenian overtures and make their fears a reality as they put themselves into a situation that they had feared. Philip moved with a large army of 30,000 men, and he had come prepared. Philip's engineers had created a new type of catapult that was capable of throwing projectiles with greater force. On top of this, he had even come with siege towers, with some even being mobile for battle. The city of Perinthus resisted bitterly, and they were aided by the Athenians as they were able to resupply the city by sea, as the Macedonians could not hope to match the Athenians in the water. Perinthus was further aided by reinforcements from Byzantium and Persian governors just over the Hellespont. Thrace was nominally controlled by the Persians, and while in recent centuries it had become more of a hypothetical control, the Persians had a vested interest in keeping Philip away from the Hellespont. Philip broke through the first line of defense with his battering rams, and the Perinthians scrambled to make a second line, forcing the Macedonians to start all over again. It was fierce fighting. Philip's army attacked different sections of the walls to thin the forces, and many soldiers climbed on top of the walls with ladders, leading to bloody hand-to-hand fighting on the walls. Then, the Macedonians finally broke through the second wall and finally entered the city. They saw that the alleyways and streets had been blockaded, leading to another defensive line. Perinthus was determined to fight to the end. The fighting continued in this way, Every time the Macedonians broke through a line, they encountered another hastily erected line in front of them. The deeper the Macedonians entered, the harder it became to push through. The city of Perinthus was located on a slope, and as the Macedonians fought their way into the city, they began to lose the advantage of their siege towers and archers, and the Perinthians now had the high ground to be able to rain projectiles and missiles down. Then Philip made a gamble. He split his force in half and sent the other half of his army to siege Byzantium. His rationale being that the city had sent many of their men and leaders to aid Perinthus. 
Philip left the siege of Perinthus and went to Byzantium and saw that he was right. Byzantium's defenses were weaker and not as determined as Perinthus. Then, seeing a chance to strike at the Athenians, Philip sent his navy to attack unsupported transport ships filled with grain supplies headed for Athens. The Athenian navy was in Persia, negotiating with one of the governors for more supplies. Philip took the grain supplies and used it to feed his army, and then stripped the ships of their timber to use in the siege. Despite the string of fortuitous events, it was not enough for Philip to take Byzantium. Like Perinthus, they were able to resupply via the sea, and reinforcements from Rhodes, Kos, and Chios entered the city. Philip attempted a night attack to overwhelm a section of the walls, and it was almost successful. But the Byzantines were alerted due to barking dogs, and after a fierce struggle, the Macedonians withdrew. Philip then made the hard decision and called off both of the sieges. It's hard to really quantify how badly these defeats hurt Philip. Unlike his defeat back in 354 or 353 against Onomarchus, Philip had cemented his supremacy in Greece at this point. Philip's leadership was not in any jeopardy, but his reputation most likely took a hit. Athens used this opportunity to shatter the stone tablet the peace with Macedonia had been inscribed on. Athens was once again openly hostile against Macedonia. Still, the other powers of Greece were not interested in a war against Philip, and while Athens had found some allies, it was not nearly enough to make a difference. Macedonia, with their alliance with Thebes, could come through Thermopylae and attack Athens if they had wanted. While Athens did not have the strength to threaten the periphery of Macedonia, let alone its core. Aeschines and his supporters in Athens claimed that war with Philip was not a good idea, at least not currently. It did not matter though, Athens was once again ready for war, but did not seek to start any conflict until they had secured enough support to fight against Philip. Speaking of Philip, let us turn our attention back to him. The sieges of Perinthus and Byzantium was not the only action in 340 the Macedonians saw. Despite Athens obsessing over Macedonia, Philip was not inclined to feel the same. In the three years Philip had spent in Thrace, he had managed to enlarge his territory, continue to create new colonies, and gain wealth. Athens was not strong enough to challenge Philip alone. And like always, Philip was not interested in dealing with Athens head-on. Philip again in 340 moved into Thrace at the behest of a Scythian king looking for aid. The Scythians were a nomadic steppe people who specialized in horse riding and archery. And like many steppe people who will appear over the next millennia or so, they were a very hardy and difficult enemy to fight. Philip's Thracian expansion had brought him close to a Scythian king named Aetius. The Scythian king had enlarged his kingdom, and it now lay in the Dobruja, which was the territory now split between the modern-day countries of Bulgaria and Romania. Aetius in 340 was apparently 90 years old at this time, just like Bardilus back in the day. It must be the non-pasteurized milk. Another group known as the Histrians began warring with Aetius, and Aetius sent envoys to Philip for aid in their struggle. In exchange for soldiers, Aetius would adopt Philip, and upon his death, would bequeath his kingdom to Philip. 
This was a good deal for Philip, as he had already began expanding in that area, and with Aetius's advanced age, it would not be long until the old king died. Philip sent his soldiers out to reinforce Aetius, but before they could arrive, the Histrian king died, and the threat to Aetius' kingdom alongside it. Aetius sent the soldiers back to Philip, and refused to compensate him as well, stating that he had never asked for Macedonian aid, and that his soldiers were stronger than any Macedonian soldier, and that he had a son and heir. Philip took this insult in stride, sending his ambassadors to at least gain monetary recompense from Aetius. The king decided he was too poor to be able to make such payments, and that these people were rich in only their valor and hardiness. This is one of those choose-your-words-carefully type of moment, and it would seem that Aetius had chosen poorly. Philip had decided on attacking Aetius, partly due to the disrespect he had been shown, and because a victory would help alleviate the sting of defeat Philip had incurred the same year with the sieges. And lastly, because war is expensive, and he could make back what he spent on the sieges with this invasion. Philip decided to engage in some sneaky behavior, and asked Aetius if he could travel through his lands to the Danube, to erect a statue of his ancestor Heracles since he had promised to do so during the siege of Byzantium. Aetius declined, but said if Philip sent the statue, he would put it up in his place. This was a bald-faced lie on Aetius' part, as the bronze statue would most definitely be melted down to make arrowheads for his people. What we'd know next happened, then, is that Philip attacked Aetius, and it was a hard-fought war, but that Philip was victorious, and Aetius died in battle. It would seem that Aetius' declaration of poverty was true. There was not much in precious metals, but Philip took many slaves, large amounts of cattle, and apparently 20,000 brood mares. Philip attacked Aetius in the winter of 340, and after, began the slow march back to Macedonia. There were fewer soldiers than slaves, and the slaves could not move at the same pace as the soldiers who had been marching for years at this point. On the return home from this conquest, Philip had to pass through another territory held by a hostile tribal leader. Philip asked for passage through the lands, and the tribal leaders of the area asked for a portion of the booty Philip had earned. Philip declined to give them any booty, and moved through the territory anyway, most likely relying on his reputation in the area to see him through unmolested. This is once again another mistake on Philip's part. Not long after marching into hostile territory, the Macedonians were attacked. The Macedonian forces were victorious in the battle, but in the chaos of battle, the majority of the slaves acquired had managed to free themselves and escape. Not only did Philip lose the slaves, but he was once again severely injured in the fighting. Philip was stabbed by a spear, and it was a deep wound, stabbing through his thigh and killing the horse Philip was riding. Philip passed out from this wound, and it was feared that he was dead, but he soon regained consciousness and managed to take control of the situation once again. The wound left its mark, and Philip was left with a permanent limp for the rest of his life. While Philip could declare victory in the fighting, as he had fought off the attacking enemies, it was a pyrrhic victory at best. Well, that would actually be anachronistic of me to say. The proper term at this time would be Academy in victory, 
The term Pyrrhic victory comes from the future king of Epirus, Pyrrhus, who despite winning every battle he faced against the Romans, lost the war due to his high casualty rates. Pyrrhus is related to Alexander the Great on his mother's side, sharing a great-great-grandfather. Anyways, back to the story. The last year and a bit for Philip had been a rollercoaster of events, and not always ending in the king's favor. Now, things were moving far beyond Philip's control, and not for the best. Despite Philip's conflict with Aetius and all that occurred after, southern Greece was in a flurry. As Athens continued to seek allies for a war against Philip, as usual, it was the political squabbling between various city-states that led to a larger conflict between the bigger powers in Greece. The city of Amphissa had begun cultivating sacred lands south of Delphi. Does this sound familiar? Sounds familiar to me. After this had been discovered, the Amphictyonic League decided on declaring sacred war in Amphissa, and the Thessalians put forward that they thought Philip should be in charge. After Philip's recovery, Philip would have to move south once again to deal with this issue. But little did Philip and the rest of Greece know that the balance of power would forever be shifted in the upcoming year and a half. I know this was a bit of a shorter episode, but we'll leave things here for now with what looks like another sacred war brewing and Philip once again being called in to settle matters. Like always, if you like what you heard, give the podcast five stars in a review. I'll have maps on Instagram so you can see that at pinpoint underscore history. And you can email me at thepinpointhistory at gmail.com with any questions you may have. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, let's get it.